Well, we've been going through the series in the book of James entitled Real Faith. And so go ahead and turn your Bibles open to James chapter 1. And today I'll be preaching on verses 19 through 27. And this chunk here will bring us to the end of the first section of the series in the book of James. But nonetheless, the series will continue. But if you have your Bibles open, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And here's what we read. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord, I pray that this morning, that this particular passage would have a significant impact on our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is not just an ideology that we simply give mental assent to, but it is truth that is to be obeyed. John MacArthur said, when a true disciple hears God's word, there's an affection for its truth and desire in his heart to obey it. And that aligns exactly with what we see in scripture. You see, there's a warning here for us. It's dangerous when we know the word of God and we can fluently speak the word of God and we have Christianese down and we can speak it well, but there's no evidence of the power of or our obedience to or the implementation and the, and the changing effect of the word of God in our lives. The danger is believing that We've been saved by Christ simply because we know the word of God and we can speak the word of God when in reality there's no evidence to substantiate the transforming and substantiate real faith in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read this. And by this, and he's about to explain what that is, by this we know that we have come to know him, that's God the Father in Jesus Christ, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Now I know those are sound like scathing words, intimidating, hard words. But the reality is he's just bringing something to light for us to understand. The point is, when we've been saved by faith in Christ, there is real transformation that happens within us. And furthermore, he's revealing to us that it's the word of God that he uses to conform us into the image of Christ. Now, in this series, we've already seen that James has shared his wisdom as to how to endure trials and how to endure temptations. And now he's going to show us that real faith is lived out by two actions. The first one being receiving the word in humility and secondly, responding to the word in obedience. So let's take a look at the first point receiving the word in humility, and we're looking at verses 19 through 21. Read with me, follow along. Know this, notice how he begins this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The command in this passage is for believers to receive with meekness the implanted word. And when we look at that, you begin to unpack that word meekness, it, it includes elements such as humility and submission to and the implementation of. And as the children of God who represent Christ here on earth, real faith in Christ is reflected by our conduct because the word of God he has implanted within us, which is powerful and effective to change us. The reason we imitate him is because he is worthy to be imitated. And it is the right thing to do as the children of God. And it's a part of our new identity as his children. And with this in mind, he writes in verse 19, follow along again. Know this, and you should mark these words. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want you to notice, first and foremost, that he prefaces what he's about to say by affirming God's love for them. See, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. He wants them to know that God isn't some cold-hearted dictator who demands obedience. He's calling them to these instructions with the understanding that it's because God loves them. God, God isn't some distant, disconnected, aloof God. His commands, the commands of God that he wants us to implement in our life proceed out of his righteousness and out of his perfect love. 
And those brought to salvation by the word of God, those who are loved by God, as God's children, he commands us, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's the reason why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, I want you to notice that James didn't say not to speak at all. He didn't say not to ever get angry, but he said be slow to speak and slow to anger. And he does this because anger isn't always wrong, but more often than not, we need to be careful here because we usually have a tendency to think that whenever we get angry, our anger is justified and it's a righteous anger when it's not. I do believe that we at times get angry and it's a righteous anger. However, even if our anger starts in righteousness, with our weaknesses and with our flesh, we don't stay righteous in our anger. There's a reason why the scriptures exhort us to not let the sun go down on our anger. When difficulties come upon us, what happens is although in the beginning we may have a righteous anger, it doesn't stay there because our flesh bubbles up and boils over. And then when people come in our path who should have done differently or we think should have done differently, we fail to give them the benefit of the doubt to hear them out. Instead, we've already ready, blindly determined their motives and we're quick to let out our verbal vomit of criticism flying from this projected deep, this projection deep within our bowels of clenching, this clenching heave of anger and frustration that comes out of us. And we think it's justified. Now here's the thing. Sadly, as much as we may respond this way to people, sometimes we respond this way to God as well, and we blame God for the hard times that have come upon us. A number of years ago, speaking to a, a man who had experienced some extreme difficulties in his life, um, the suicide of one parent and the death of another, and he stated to me that one day God would answer to him. Those are harsh criticisms. And yes, sometimes our anger is justified, but even when it begins that way, we don't necessarily stay there. But we blame God for our hard times. And Proverbs 29, 20 actually tells us, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? He just quickly speaks out. He speaks, that's just who I am. And it just, he has verbal diarrhea and it just comes out. He goes on, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, how much more so when the, when the words that we speak so quickly are fueled by anger? But regardless, whether it's towards our fellow man or towards God, for the Christian who is loved by God, this is not a proper response and this is not what our response should be. He tells us why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
That is, it doesn't accomplish through us what is right in God's eyes. It doesn't, it doesn't emanate through us the character and the righteousness of God when we respond this way. Our emotional, verbal, tongue lashing done in haste and anger doesn't reflect on who God is. It's not a proper reflection on the character of God and that's precisely the problem. Because you see, the righteousness of God is to be reflected or emanated through his children in the life of a believer. And that's why he then goes on in, in verse 21, he says, therefore put away all filthiness. And that word filthiness there means anything that's morally impure. Put it off, right? And when we respond in haste and in anger, oftentimes or most of the times we respond out of the flesh, therefore it is immorally pure. But it's not just contained to that, but it includes that. And so put off Put away all filthiness and then rampant wickedness, which means all kinds of evil, and receive with meekness. And that word meekness means, can mean humility. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. But receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, two things that James says about the word of God that I want you to see here. Firstly, that it had already been implanted in them, and it is, the word of God, if you've come to faith in Christ, the word of God is implanted within your soul by God. Secondly, the word of God is able to save your soul because it brings you, it shows you your sinfulness and brings you to the one who can save you from God's just wrath and condemnation for your sin because it brings you to Christ who sets you free, who paid the wrath of God on your part. But he tells them, yes, the word of God is able to save your soul by bringing you to Christ. But he's talking to people that have already been saved. But the primary action here is that you and I are to receive with meekness the implanted word. And that that word meekness there, the, the, or to receive with meekness, that phrase means to yield to. We're to submit ourselves to its commands. And when we're yielding to it and we're submitting to it, what we're doing is we're implementing what it commands in our life. Now, furthermore, in the original language in this verse, there's a condition that's put in here or the way it's phrased. And it's this, in order to receive or in order to implement the implanted word of God, you must put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Okay, so in other words... You cannot produce the righteousness of God while you're emanating moral impurity and wickedness. It's not possible. Now, here's the reality. If you are a Christian, God has already made you righteous inwardly. But for that righteousness now to be manifested outwardly, you now need to put off sin. And if you don't put off sin, the righteousness of God 
won't be outwardly manifested in your life. Now, the idea, if I were to sum it up, the idea here is this. Listen, I think this is what he's getting at here. If the word of God that's been implanted in you is enough to save your soul, then it's powerful enough to save you in momentary desires of sin. In order for the righteousness of God to be made evident in our lives, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then receive or accept, bow down to, apply and implement the instruction of the word of God that's already alive within you. But this is an intentional action on our part. Instead of bursting out in anger or responding in some morally impure or wicked way, we intentionally put it off because the word of God informs us that such a response does not produce the righteousness that God desires to be evident in the lives of his children that reflect his character. Think of this. For God's righteousness to be made evident in us, we must, we must, this is so important, put off morally, moral impurity and wickedness because the two cannot be manifested at the same time. It's either one or the other. So what we see here then is that the first action requires us to receive the word with meekness and humility, meaning that we submit ourselves to it by putting ourselves under its commands and we put off all manner of impurity and wickedness. That's the first point. Now, the second action that's required is that we respond to the word in obedience. Look, look at verses 22 through 24. But be doers of the word. Note that. You should underline that. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. Now this doesn't need any explanation. It's very easy to understand. Do what the word of God tells you. Respond to the word in obedience. Don't be the person who hears the word of God and knows what to do, but doesn't do it. He says a person who does that is a person who's deceiving themselves. Now, let's look at this example of the mirror for a moment. We use mirrors to check ourselves out, right? I look in the mirror every morning to see how I look today, right? We, we look in the mirror to see if we look presentable or if there anything, there's anything that needs to be fixed or changed, right? And the person who only hears the word, listen to this, the person who only hears the word but doesn't implement it is like the person who looks into the mirror 
sees that his hair's a mess. He's got slobber dried onto his face. He's got crusty eyes from sleeping. He's got food stuck in his beard. But the moment he turns away, he forgets all of that and thinks he's presentable when really it's really off-putting to everyone else around him. That's what the person is like who hears the instruction of the word and knows it and can even speak it but doesn't do what it says. The word of God is like a mirror. As we look into the word of God, it shows us our sins, it shows us our shortcomings, and it shows us what needs to be changed. But the person who thinks they're in good standing with God simply because they know the word without implementing it in their life deceives themselves. A number of years ago, a dear brother preaching on this very passage made a statement that I've never forgotten. And he said, we live out what we believe and the rest is empty religious talk. I've never forgotten that. It stuck with me all these years. Sadly, there are many people who know the word of God well. They can argue it. They can defend it. But there's no evidence of their submission to it in their conduct. There's a lack of humility. There's a lack of evidence of the power of the word in their lives. And they think they're okay. They think they're good with God. But James makes it clear they're not. They've, they've deceived themselves. Now, on the other hand, contrary to this, he tells us in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, the perfect law of liberty is another way of referring to the word of God. But I, I want to draw your attention to the word looks for a minute. This word doesn't mean to just take a quick glance and then get on your way. It actually means to stop and to stoop and to examine very carefully. And the phrase, as I just stated, the perfect law, the law of liberty, it helps us understand the characteristic of God's word. It actually helps us understand the character of God. It's perfect, lacking nothing for all of life's issues, and it's everything, or sorry, everything that it commands is good and right. And what's more, he refers to it as the law of liberty because it brings freedom. So the person who examines the perfect law 
that brings freedom, let me put it that way, and does what it commands regardless of the circumstances they find themselves in, that person will be blessed in their doing or in their obedience. Think of this just for a moment. When you feel that frustration and that anger and you want to act out, you want to lash out, some might think in a moment like that, that the word of God is what's actually restricting and binding because you want to respond differently when you face that temptation. You'd like to vent your anger. You'd like to just rip into that person, just lay into someone. But the word of God says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But everything within you says, no, I need to let it out. I need to let it go, right? And so they might view the word of God as binding and restricting, keeping them from doing what they want to do. But the reality is, and I hope we can grasp onto this. It's not the word of God that's binding and restricting in that sense. It's actually our flesh. It's our flesh that's binding and restricting. Because you see, your flesh wants you to do what you feel. It wants you to live out those passions. It wants you to spew your venom and your anger and your frustrations. It wants you to just lay it out there the way you see it and what needs to be said. But the reality is when we do that, we actually begin to enslave ourselves more to our own flesh, to the passions of our flesh. Because the more you give into it, the harder it becomes to resist it. So it's actually our flesh that's binding and enslaving and restricting. And obeying the word of God in a moment like that is actually what's liberating. When you want you to let it all out, but you say no. It's not going to come out. And it's when you refuse to give into your flesh in that moment that it produces the righteousness that God desires, the righteousness that reflects the character of God. Now, in my personal experience, in those times, and there have been plenty, where I've given into my flesh and I've blown up and I've spewed out my venom towards others or against others, when I should have listened to the word of God, when I should have listened to the people, but I didn't, you know what I found? My flesh in that moment promises satisfaction. You let it all out, it's gonna feel good. But the reality is it doesn't. Instead, the more I gave in to my flesh, the more I became enslaved to my flesh. And then adding to that, it bound me to a guilty conscience. Furthermore, it then bound me to disappointment because 
it didn't accomplish what I thought it would. It didn't accomplish what my flesh had promised, that I would feel good if I let it all out. It never has. Not once. Whereas, or however, obeying the word of God in those moments in such a case leads afterwards not to being bound to the flesh or to guilty conscience or disappointment, but to an inward peace, a clear conscience, and joy, both inwardly and outwardly. Because as a child of God, I didn't give in to my flesh. And that gives incredible joy, at least to me. And what's more, I did what was true to the nature of God, bringing glory and honor to God. And I did what's actually true of my new identity as a child of God. But you know what? There's more to this. When we speak of the word of God as the law of liberty, it's not the things that I've just mentioned, but there's more. Obeying the word of God in difficult circumstances will increase your steadfastness. It will increase your faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, we read this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, listen, and does them, not just hears them, but does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, when hard times come upon you and within you, you just feel this desire to want to just burst out against everything that's coming against you or against someone or against God. Listen, the person who did the things that Jesus said, but did not, after the hardships came, it says, But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And then he speaks of the other side. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you see, obedience to the word of God not only brings liberty and freedom, not only is it perfect, but it will increase your ability to stand during hard times. Our steadfastness through obedience to the word is increased. And then James wraps up this section by referring to Christianity as a religion. Now, I recognize that when we use that word religion, it comes with a very negative connotation. That word has received a bad rap over the last few decades because of some of the more popular definitions given to this word. One definition that was that religion is man's attempt to get right with God. And when we hear that, we're like, well, it's not our attempt, it's through Christ, right? And so we, we're not very comfortable with that word religion. 
Um, or another statement that became popular is that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And on one hand, we would, depending on the context in which you're using that phrase, we would say it's true. It is a relationship. But we'll see that it is also a religion. Secondly, or thirdly, a very famous musician a number of years ago who claims to hold to a degree of Christianity was asked about his faith, about Christianity, and asked if, if Christianity was his religion, or I forget exactly how the question was phrased, but his response was, was this, religion is what's left when Christ leaves the room. And everyone applauded that. Oh, that, that's very wise. That's really good. And it sounds smart. But it's because of statements like this that as Christians, we shy away and we try to get away from that word religion. When in reality, to be religious simply means to live according to moral and, and ethical tenets of a system of belief. And Christianity falls right into that. It's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what James is laying out for us here. Now, James makes a bold but honest statement about anyone who claims to be religious. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you claim to be religious, but you can't control what comes out of your mouth and the way you say things, if you're constantly gossiping about others, if you're constantly critical of someone else, if your words just come out uncensored and you say, well, that's just who I am, or when you speak accusingly of your spouse, or you continually belittle your children and speak down to them, if you fly into a verbal rage without any restraint, and the list just goes on and on and on, then your religion is worthless. It merits you nothing with God, so you can call yourself a Christian, but if this is what is true of or common of your conduct, what you believe means nothing, has no impact, has no power. Again, John MacArthur states, if the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not either. And that would definitely align with what we find in Scripture. And so we need to ask ourselves, and ask yourself this morning, what is your tongue revealing about your religion? About Christ and about the power of the gospel? Are you a doer of the word or just a hearer of the word? Do you speak it but there's no evidence or power evident in your life of it? He then goes on and gives an example of what he refers to as, listen, in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. And here it is. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, the idea behind this is that Christians care about others. They care about those in need. And he uses a perfect example here of visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. You see, as difficult as it is for widows and orphans in our day, it was exponentially harder for a widow and her children in those days. As a woman was seen, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, as property of her husband. She didn't have the equality or the value of the man. And it was wrong, definitely wrong. And so wives or widows didn't get the same privileges. They didn't get the same standing in society as a man. But when Christianity came along, it changed all of that. And it's a wonderful example for him to use. And even one that we need to be very cognizant of today, very aware of. And James is using widows and orphans here as an example. But we know that it actually includes a lot more. It includes caring for the sick and caring for the homeless and those who are isolated and marginalized. And the list goes on because Christianity is about caring more about others than about yourself. So the point is that if you are a Christian, as a doer of the word, you will care about others who are in need. That's what the righteousness of God produces in the lives of those who believe in him. So real faith in Christ, first of all, requires that we control our tongue, we manage our anger, we put off any conduct or language that is contrary to the very character and the nature of God, and then submitting ourselves in humility to the commandments of the word of God. And we live it out. Real faith demands that we are doers of the word and not hearers only. Perhaps as we've looked at this passage today, you feel as though, I've just fallen short of everything that you've just talked about this morning, of everything that's commanded in this passage of scripture. And you don't know if you could even ever live up to everything that's prescribed in this passage. You recognize that You've fallen short, but you know what? Let me encourage you. Don't let guilt and condemnation bind you and to keep you from doing what God commands you to do as his child. You see, Jesus has already paid for your guilt. He's already removed your condemnation. And he cares for you and he loves you. And he revealed that by laying down his own life for you. And he's met all your needs, setting you free from guilt and condemnation. And he warmly encourages you to embrace the liberty that he purchased for you 
so that your guilt will no longer have a hold of you. So I encourage you this morning, don't allow your flesh, don't, don't allow your guilt or the condemnation you feel keep you from responding to what God has called you today since Christ has already paid for it. Humbly receive the word of God. Submit yourself to it as a rule of life by which you honor God. And it will be a blessing to you because it will manifest the righteousness of God through you so that you are free to live for the glory of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, your word is powerful and it is sharp. And it reveals to us, Lord, not just our sins, but our thoughts, our intents, and our motives. And Lord, even as Christians, Lord, we give into the flesh. But Lord, in those moments, I pray for those Christians, those of us who have fallen to the flesh, that we would not be held by guilt and condemnation, but that we would repent of our actions, that we would put it off, and that we would embrace the warmth of the gospel of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us, who paid for our sins, who, who bore our guilt and our sin, and that we would live a life in the freedom of your word, that we would have the clarity of mind to recognize that our flesh, although it promises freedom, it only brings bondage, and that your word, although as difficult as it might be to yield to it, brings life and freedom. And so, Father, we want to bring glory and honor to your name. We want your righteousness to be manifested through our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be a humble people, a meek people, and that we would submit ourselves to your word, and that we would make much of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, would you do your work within us, strengthen your people with the power of your might so that your name might be lifted up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.